It's been a fun morning already, so let's, get, let's keep this train rolling, huh? Holy Spirit's here. God, the Spirit of God is here moving. Um, this morning, I want to give you two quick updates. So we partner with an organization called Maps Global. In the spring, I got to go with them to the Middle East. Uh, we were part of a 50 hours prayer burn where we prayed for salvation and souls in the Middle East. And uh, the place that I went specifically uh, was an undisclosed location, but that house of prayer has kind of folded into the MAPS community to some degree. So they're also now, there's three houses of prayer they're supporting in some degree. And, uh, and so they have a gala coming up. So I'm announcing this because MAPS annual gala, they're going to do one here in Northern Virginia. So it's the 6th of November. It's at 7 o'clock p.m. It's a dinner. Um, I'm hosting a table. So if you're interested, I'd love for you to join in. I want as many people there as possible. Uh, this church supports MAPS Global. If you don't know much about MAPS Global Mission, just go to the website mapsglobal.org. It's a, it's a sending center. They send prayer missionaries to sing and pray and, and evangelize in unreached people groups, unreached parts of the world, places that have what we would consider gospel poverty. Make sense? So, awesome. I got a quick update from them. Um, my buddy Luke just emailed me a couple days ago. He said, in Eurasia, the Eurasia House of Prayer, four people were baptized in the church last week. This is a nation that has 10,000 Christians out of 80 million people. So for four people to be baptized in the church is a huge deal. Um, three people met with the Lord in the last 10 days, and then he shared a story. An individual showed up in their prayer room and tells our team, I had a dream last night that I was in my Quranic school. So he's Arabic. And Jesus showed up in blazing fire and says to me, I'm the beginning and I am the end. You are on the wrong path, and you need to turn and follow me. Come on! So Jesus is showing up to people in dreams, and then he showed up in the prayer room. Powerful, right? So Maps Global, it's an awesome thing that, that God is doing in and through them. And this is the story across the region. God is showing up to people. So I wanted to encourage you, November 7th, tell me if you want to be at my table. I'm hosting a table. I might host two if I can get enough of you. Let's support and, and continue to fund this mission. So you said November 6th, and then you said November 7th. Sorry. It is November 6th at 7. Okay. At 7. It's a Saturday, Saturday evening, okay? I'll get you more details. And then second, we support another organization called Overland Missions. Jared and Brittany, they're in Zambia right now. Um, Zambia, there's a lot of hard-to-reach places in Zambia, and so they actually have put together a team that travels uh, via motocross. They get on dirt bikes, and they drive to these really hard places to reach and, and share the gospel with, with what we call chiefs. So in Zambia, it's split up into 220 different chiefdoms, and each of these chiefdoms is, has been um, extended the offer by the government to receive a chaplain. And this chaplain is trained in biblical counseling and biblical worldview. And they come alongside these chiefs if they are to accept one and help them make wise decisions on behalf of thousands, sometimes even um, hundreds of thousands of people that each of these, almost like little governors overseas. Does that make sense? And so they've been on the road. They shared some stories and updates. Here's a quick picture from Brittany uh, at one of their local uh, visits. I don't know if it made it on the slide. If it didn't, don't worry about it. Um, I can show it to you later. It's printed in color, okay? So they're out there doing some hard work, and uh, we just want to continue to know these are a couple of the partners that, that uh, and the reason I share this is because it's important in our scripture today. We're going to be talking about Antioch. This is the first sending center that was a Jew-Gentile. The first people were called Christians here because they didn't know what to call them, right? It was Jew and Gentile working together in a, in a Gentile area, and they call them Christians, right? It's a little Christ. It's the only time we see that word used in a positive light um, in the text. And so this morning, our text is going to take us um, into Acts 11. But before we get there, there's two things that are on my heart really quick. Is there anybody in the house currently that's struggling to sleep at night? Just throw up your hand. 
All right, I think there's a few of us <laughs> that are struggling to sleep tonight, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to encourage you and exhort you this way. Psalm 132. So not sleeping sucks. It's not very fun. I don't know if I can use that word, but it's not fun. It's, it's terrible, right? Not sleeping, you feel like just a zombie. And we've been through a season of sleeplessness, we know. Um, but I just want to encourage you um, that sometimes, I'd love to say that it just all go away, but I want to encourage you with something to do in those moments where you're struggling to sleep, okay? And in Psalm 132, David says, he says, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying this is the reason for your sleeplessness, but I'm saying in those moments of sleeplessness, I want to encourage you, church, to begin to make intercession. I think God's releasing a grace on this house to intercede. And so in those moments, those nights where you can't sleep, you're tossing and turning, I want to encourage you, open up the scripture, get before the Lord and say, who are you calling me to pray for right now? Lord, I'm, I'm not sleeping very well. Lord, who's on your heart? And just begin to intercede. And I found oftentimes when I begin to do that, I fall asleep pretty quickly shortly thereafter. But just begin to use that as a time to make intercession. Okay, church? So I, I'm going to pray for you real quick. God, I just ask Holy Spirit right now, you come upon those who are struggling to sleep at night. Um, Lord, I pray that you would um, help them in those moments to intercede and enter into a place of intercession. And that from that place, God, you would birth new things, that you would change lives, that God, you would shift cultures and desti destinies, that God, you would bring people into the kingdom in these moments of intercession. And then God, I do ask also for a grace to sleep at night. God, for those who have been struggling for months, God, I ask Holy Spirit, you come upon them. Even at night, Holy Spirit, you would grant sleep to those that you love. Holy Spirit, would you do it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So that's that. Um, let's jump into our text. Does that sound good? And then we might even pray again. We might just pray a lot this morning. Um, so our text, we're in the Acts series. Um, we're going to go hone in on one of the possible, well, this is probably one of my favorite all-time texts of all. I love this passage of scripture. And so I really want to impart to you a couple things this morning. Um, really the Father's heart, I want to encourage you and exhort you. I want you to be stirred up this morning to ask the Lord a couple of questions, and we'll talk about those things. But um, our text this morning, I'm going to read it out to us. It's Acts 11. It's verses 19 through 30. Feel free to turn in your Bibles there. And um, I'm just going to read through this and be free to read along, do whatever you want. But I might be moving a little fast. So now those who were scattered in verse 19, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So it's a group of people, they go, they go forward, they're speaking only to the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. These would be Greek speakers. They would be non-Jews. You with me? And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And at Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. Say it with me. Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, this took place in the days of Claudius. This was a documented event. It happened uh, in the days of Claudius, actual famine. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did it. 
They did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, God. You spoke in the beginning and creation happened. You brought light. God, would you illuminate our hearts this morning? Would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation? God, would you open us up to see who you are or to receive from you this morning? God, we're asking for it. We want it. We want more of you this morning. Stir up hunger. Stir up thirst for you, Jesus Christ. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one thing I want us to do this morning is get our bearings straight. So there should be a slide, hopefully. And if there's not, you're just going to have to help me out. So I've got a slide. I did have one, but I'm going to give you some dates, okay? Do you all understand the, the scope of where we're at next? I just want you just to help kind of get a picture. This helps me. I'm a visual person. I got to kind of understand where we are. Okay, so 80-30, Holy Spirit falls. Boom, right? Speaking in tongues. The, the church is established there, Pentecost, right? And then we've got five years later, fast forward. For five years... The church has been established, and then persecution breaks out, AD 35, boom, right? And who's at the head of that persecution? We've read about him, right? Saul, right? He's persecuting the Christians. He's binding them up, right? One year later, Saul comes to the Lord. So a year into persecuting the Christians, dragging them off, and this dude was, was he was on a mission. You all understand that, right? We've, we've covered that in the scripture. Then fast forward four more years later, we have the first Greek, Cornelius, comes to the Lord. So a 10-year gap, right? Jesus says, power will come upon you to do what? To be my witnesses, right, to who? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? Does that make sense? But it takes 10 years for it to get to the Greeks. So there's something there going on, right? We got to wrestle with that, right? Um, then the founding of the church, it happens in Antioch. This is where we're at today. So 13 years later. So this is 13 years after Pentecost. You all with me? And the reason I want to do this is just, just help us understand where we're at in the context of time. And then AD 47, 17 years after the church was established. And how many years? Can anybody do the math after Saul came to the Lord? Who's the math whiz? 11 years, yeah. So 11 years after Saul comes to an encounter with Jesus, gets this awesome um, word, prophetic word from Ananias, then he steps into his ministry. So you all see the gap there. You see what's happening. So it begs the question, what happened to Paul during those 11 years? And so I'll share a little bit about that with you. But I think uh, what the Holy Spirit would highlight to us this morning is that um, there is a reason for that gap there, and there's something that God does beautifully in this text through a man named Barnabas. I think he's one of the most underrated dudes in Scripture. He uses this man to bring about probably one of the most transformational moments in Paul's life. And if it were not for this man and his yes to the Lord, would we have, like, what, 18, 20 of the New Testament epistles? Like, God uses this moment. So I want us to be encouraged. Let's look into this story this morning. And so, do you all have the timeline down? Feel good about that? Okay, awesome. Um, I've got a, do we have the map? Let's see if the next one comes. Yes, a little map. Okay, great. So as, I just want to give you a feel. Who doesn't love a little, a little map? I love little maps. My son Joseph was giving me a map lesson too when we were looking this up the other day. He's like, oh yeah, I know where that is. I know where uh, the, the uh, he gave me all, all three of the spots on the map. But down here, it's hard to see. Look at their map over there. We've got Jerusalem way down here. We've got Damascus, right, where Saul was on his way. He gets converted and then we have Antioch all the way up here. So what happens in AD 35 is Saul's persecuting the Christians, right? And it says some of them in our text, right? Are you all with me? So it says some of them. I love this because it doesn't give us any names. There's no like heroes here, right? It's just some of them were scattered by persecution. And I think that should give us hope and excitement. Do you know why? Because yeah, that's, that's us. We're just some of them following Jesus, and in this instance, they're persecuted. We don't, nothing special required to follow him. 
right? And some of them, they were, they were some of the, it says, you know, Stephen, they, they go to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they're speaking the word to no one except Jews. So we got a group, some of them, they were just speaking to the Jews. But then we got a group of some of them that began to enter, engage with the Hellenists, who are Greek-speaking people, Greeks, not Jews, and sharing the gospel of the Lord. And what does it say about them? It says what? The hand of the Lord was what? With them, right? So they were scattered, and some of them, some of them, they're fulfilling the mandate of the Great Commission. So we got to get this in our DNA. I know we've said it a billion times, but the Great Commission is what? Jesus said, go and make disciples of what? All nations, all people, all tribes, all tongues. We're making disciples, right? So the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's, so, but what did it take for them to obey? Yeah, persecution, right? It's, the, it's, it's our least favorite P word, but it's, it's there, and it's going to happen in Scripture. Persecution is what forces them out of their comfort zone and, and sadly, that's often what it takes for us to get out of our comfort zone. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, he shares 22 signs of the times. The, 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 the New Testament writers share another 30. Out of the 22 that he shares, the signs of the times, right? Signs of the generation of the Lord returns. 20 out of the 22 are negative. Earthquakes, famine, war, rumors of wars. Why? Because the human heart oftentimes needs a little encouragement. And oftentimes, it's the negative stuff that gets us to move. I mean, just think about your life pre-COVID and think about your life post-COVID. If that hasn't shaken you on some level or stirred something inside of you, I would encourage you, you know, has everybody been infected by it? Yes. It's, It's shaken, it's stirred, it's done things inside of our hearts that I think maybe would not have happened had we just been cool with our comfortable, happy, joyful lives the way they were. Does that make sense? So persecution drives them out of the city, and, you know, I beg the question, like, why weren't they going, right? Eventually, we have Philip, he goes to the Ethiopians, but that was because of the persecution. We have some that were scattered. They went because of persecution. And I think it's because there, we don't really want to go. I think that's the reality. And Jesus says um, in Mark, he's talking to disciples, chapter 10. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would thrust laborers into the harvest field. And that word there in the Greek is, it's called ekbola. Any kids in the room? Can you say that with me? Ekbola. Ekbola. Okay, you know what that means? It means to push, to thrust it out with force. Guess what? That word is also used following this exhortation to pray that the Lord of harvest would thrust laborers into the harvest field. Immediately thereafter, it says, I also give you authority and power to cast out demons. It's the same word, ekbola, demons, right? Cast out darkness. It's the same word. Why does he have to use the same word to thrust laborers into the harvest field that he would use to thrust demons out of a person? I think it's because we're not willing to go as people, just in our hearts, in our natural disposition. Our hearts are not willing. And so he has to pray that God will thrust you. And you know what happens when you begin to pray that prayer? I would encourage you to pray that prayer. God, ekbola labors into the harvest field. Ekbola labors into the harvest field. You know what happens when we begin to pray that prayer? Our heart becomes in alignment with his, and we begin to say, God, send me. Send me. I'll go, right? And God begins to put a people group, a, a nation, a neighbor, a work, co-worker on our hearts. God, ekbola labors into the harvest field in Afghanistan, right? Eventually, our hearts come to that place where we're so connected to God's heart to send laborers. We're like, God, send me. I'll go. Whatever you want me to do. Here's my money. 
here's my resources, and that's the, that's the position we want to rest in. And so I would just encourage us and exhort us this morning where we're comfortable. God, would you help us to get uncomfortable? Would you help us to wake up from the American dream? You guys realize it's a dream. We're not living, we're living in reality, and the American dream is a dream. We have to get unhinged and unhooked from the dream, the comfort, the reality, the white picket fence, the beautiful house, the yard, all the stuff that we think is important in this life, we'll find on the other side of eternity was worth nothing. And all the stuff that seems worthless in this life will mean everything for billions of years. Billions. We get to spend billions of years with Jesus. We're here for, what, 70 years? The psalmist refers to it as a breath, a grass. It's mowed down the next day. That's how quick it is. It's an internship. Anybody do an internship in school? Have we got anybody internship right now? Okay. Is it a long period of time or a short period of time? Yeah, it's super short, right? This is the internship for eternity. Do you guys realize that? This is the internship. It's one summer. One summer compared to what? Eternity, right? One summer compared to eternity. So what we do right now in our relationships in our kids' lives, with our money, with our attention, with our time, it matters for what? Eternity. Eternity. God, loose our grip on our stuff. Loose our grip and help us dial into eternity. All right, verse 22. We're going to keep moving. Is that all right? Okay, let the Lord stir your heart. Verse 22, it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Question, why didn't they send Peter? Why didn't they send James, John? Like, they're, they're, they're having a meeting, right? Hey, you guys hear what's going on in Antioch? Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Okay, so uh, who wants to go? Like crickets. Who wants to go? Crickets. There's some dude in the back of the room, we got introduced to him in Acts chapter 4, our man Barnabas. I was like, I'll go. Send me. I'm in. Right? And why? Because his heart, if we go back to Acts chapter 4, I want to read in Acts chapter 4 a description of Barnabas. Actually, just bump up to Acts chapter 4. It's two slides. 36 through 37. This is what it says. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37, it says, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He's an encouraging dude. He's excited. He's, he's, he's excited, right? And he is encouraging. It says he was a Levite. He was a native of Cyprus, so he has that Cypritic connection, right? Cyprus on our map was right there, juxtaposed to Antioch. Something he was Greek, we'll see. Sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the disciples' feet. What did he do with the field? What did he do with the money? He gave it to the disciples. Hey, hey guys, here. This is, this is you. This is for you. His heart was becoming less associated and attached to the things of this world, and he was dialed into what God was doing, right, in the church. And so what happens... Come back one slide for me, Solomon. It's, I think it's because, well, I'll just share with you what I wrote down. I think Barnabas' generosity in chapter 4 sets him up for a world-changing assignment years later. His generosity. Worship isn't just our song and our praise. Well, that's a huge part of it. It's not just reading and understanding the word. That's a huge part of it. It's not just being in community and fellowship. That's a huge part of it. Worship looks like generosity, ties and offerings, and you know what? Barnabas is the first picture of New Testament giving. 
You guys understand that? It's the first picture. And it, he doesn't come with 10%. He comes with the attitude of how much can I give? He says to the Lord, how much? How much? How much can I give, Lord? I'm going to sell this field. Boom, it's yours. It's not, uh, okay, I got my 10%. I'm good. I'm going to take this 90 and do what I want. Fill up my 401k. So I'm good in a few years, right? I'm going to go buy this house that I, I love. I'm not saying anything is wrong. There's nothing wrong with those things. But it's where his heart was, right? He said, hey, I got this extra field. Boom, let's sell it. How much, Lord? How much would God transition our hearts from this amount to, God, how much? There's a gift of generosity in this house. I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But there's a gift on this house to be generous. So I think Barnabas is like in the back. He's like, hey, I'll do it. I'm in. My heart's in. They're like, great. Get him out of here. Let's go. So Barnabas, he's headed to Antioch, right? And, uh, and I love it because um, he's got the gift of encouragement. He's such a good fit to see what's going on and fan into flame what God's doing there, right? So on the other side of Barnabas's yes, we get what? We're going to find out in a minute. We get the Pauline epistles, right? On the other side of Barnabas's yes, we get a thriving Antioch sending center that for the rest of Acts becomes the primary focal point of where they go out and return to. So it's not the Jewish church in Jerusalem that becomes the center focus for the rest of Acts as we're going to continue through as, as far as we determine, right? This becomes the hub, the Antioch sending center. And you see in chapter 13 of, of Acts that there is this group. You've got Barnabas, you've got Simon, you've got um, a guy who was a lof- lifelong friend of Herod, um, in chapter 3, verse 2, it says they were worshiping and fasting. There's this community of prayer and fasting happening among a diverse group of men and women who are seeking the Lord. Psalm 105, seeking his strength, seeking what? His presence continually. You know what happens when we get in the presence of God? It disarms us. It gets our hearts to a place where we're willing to surrender and then that prayer we've been praying, Lord, thrust laborers in the harvest becomes, yes, Lord, I'm here. Send me. Right? I mean, that's, that's the trajectory. So that's why we need the presence of God in this house. That's why we spend the first 30 minutes, if not more, worshiping the Lord. We need his presence to soften our hearts. We sing these songs not just because they're great songs. We sing them because we need to connect with the Lord in his presence. And in his presence, there's a fullness of joy. Our hearts fill up with joy. We say, God, forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for the way I treated my kids this morning. Forgive me for my impatience. Forgive me for holding on to my stuff. And we say, God, send me. Here you go. It's yours. You can have it. I want you to have it. That's why we need the presence of God. And so that's what you see happening in Antioch as, as later on we'll see the seeds of what Barnabas does in plants becomes a, a house of worship, that David prayer. I will give my, my eyes no rest. My head won't hit the pillow until you have a dwelling place. This house is going to be a dwelling place for the Lord. Stop there before I start crying. Verses 23 through 24, it says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of what? Holy Spirit. We need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And of faith. We also need some faith, right? And a great many people were added 
to the Lord. So he shows up on the scene, and Barnabas isn't like, hey guys, so in Jerusalem, this is how we do it. Got, we got Peter, we got the dudes, we got this like thing, this structure. This is what you all need to do to make sure that your, your church plummets through the roof in attendance, and you guys reach everybody in the city, and you become the number one church in Antioch. Okay, guys, this is how we're going to do it. Is that what he does? No. He comes, and what does he do? It says he, there's three things about Barnabas I love. And I, I'm going to title this section, Be Like Barnabas. Do we have the Be Like Barnabas slide, Solomon? There's three things. He sees the grace. You guys understand what grace is? There's graces in the body of Christ. Grace is, it's what? It's a gift from the Lord, right? We have salvation. It's a gift of God. It's only through grace, right? The grace of God. So he sees the grace. I want to encourage you, church. Let's be on the lookout for the grace. There's grace all around us. There's grace in people's lives, right? And then he rejoices. So when he sees the grace of what's happening there, he doesn't get envious or jealous. What does he do? He rejoices. Woo! I see your generosity. I see the heart you have after the Lord. He doesn't get jealous. He doesn't, get, he doesn't try to stifle it. He says, let me fan this thing into flame. You've got a gift on All of us have graces on our lives. Romans 12, 3 through 6. We'll come back to the Be Like Barnabas slide, but we're, we're, I want to look at this verse. It says what? For by the grace. Kids, you still in the room? Give me a grace. Say grace. Grace. Okay. I say to everyone among you, not think of himself more highly than he ought to, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For we are, as in one body, we have many members. Are we a body with many members? Yeah, we're a family. Everybody's got different, different roles. Okay, keep going. Next slide. It says, and the members do not all have the same function. We all function a little bit differently. I like things that Dre likes. Dre likes things I like. I don't like. Seth and I, we might have different opinions and different graces, but we all have different graces, right? And it says, so that we may, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, so we're all individuals, but we could come together, right? We have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. So there's a grace on each of us, right? And let's look at some of these graces. There's one. What's the first one that says there? It says, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, there's some of you that have the grace of prophecy. You know how to build up and encourage. You know how to speak a timely word. A man, Don, over here is a hidden grace in the prophetic. A man, he, he gives a one-liner, and it is so direct and on point. I, I just, like, want to sit down for a minute. It's one of those. Like, there's just a grace on his life, right, in proportion to our faith. We got a, we got a, lot of, we got a whole prophetic corner over here, actually. There's a whole family of them. Keep going. Look. Oh, do we not get the rest of the verse in there? There's, there's a bunch more. I was excited. Sober judgment. Grace. All right, I'm just going to read it. That's why we got Bibles, right? We can just read it, read it, read it. Grace, so we're prophecy, right? The other one, it says, if service in our serving. We got some servants in the house. Mr. Defue, Kevin, we see these guys showing up early to set up. Alex, you got a gift of service on your life, a grace. When we see that grace, what do we do, church? We rejoice and we encourage, right? There's a grace on Jonah's life to sing and praise and worship. If one who teaches in teaching and one who exhorts or encourages in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. We've got a lot of generous people in this church. There's a lot of generous people in our family. And if that grace is upon you, you know who you are because oftentimes you give without the other hand seeing. But God bless you, you generous ones. So we want to rejoice. So, so Barnabas, he comes in and he doesn't try to like fit him into the mold and the structure. What does he do? He's like, yeah, woo! 
He's excited, right? They got, they got the Holy Spirit's here. The God is moving in power. He said, and so what does he do? He rejoices and then he encourages. He fans it into flame. Let's be like Barnabas. Let's see the grace in each other's lives. Let's see the grace in our children's lives. And if we can't see it, just ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what grace is in Isabella's life right now, in Joseph's life right now, in Sebastian's life right now? What grace is upon my wife, Abigail? Right? Just ask those who are around you. God, what grace is on Jonah's life right now? He's got a grace on his life to sing. He's got a grace on his life to help people enter into worship, right? And we, what do we want to do with it? We want to fan it into flame. We want to encourage each other, build each other up. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? You can tell I'm excited about this, right? I love this man, Barnabas, because he demonstrates the heart of God. What does God do? He comes in and he gives us those graces to continue to thrive and, and burn for him. So it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. How do we get filled up with the Holy Spirit? Anybody? Ask. Yes, A-S-K, A-S-K. A-S-K, that spells ask, little ones. You're, you're spelling. I know you can do it. Ask, 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 ask. Have you ever had somebody just ask you a billion times if they could come do this thing or watch this thing? Or like, it happens to me. I have three askers. It's appropriate that the ask word is spelled with three letters. Because I get asked a lot of asks. But I love it. I love it. So I, to the same father who says he's not going to give me a demon, a scorpion, right? I go to him and I ask, Holy Spirit, fill me up. That's how I start my day. I roll out of bed. I say, Holy Spirit, I'm really tired. Would you just fill me up? Would you please fill me up? Because I can't do this without you. Would you just fill me up? You could ask the Lord that all day, every day. Get in my car, I'm driving around. Holy Spirit, you just fill me up again. I need, I need more gas in my tank. I need more of you. Let's just be asking the Holy Spirit because we're going to be filled up with something. And, and asking demonstrates what? Our need. Revelation chapter 3. I think Nick brought this up last week, but it just keeps coming back to me. In verse 17, it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. This is his rebuke, his loving rebuke to the church in Laodicea. But you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you may be rich and white garments. He's rebuking the church in Laodicea of their lukewarmness, of neither being hot nor cold. And he says, you, you say, I have all I need. A person who lives a life where I have all I need and I don't need you, Jesus, doesn't ask. So I would encourage you, ask, invite the Holy Spirit into whatever you're doing, whatever he's doing. You all with me? with me. Okay, so let's ask the Holy Spirit. So let's just take a second right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask. We ask you to fill us up. Fill us up today. Fill us up with love. Fill us up with more of your spirit that we might be a people full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. God, I ask right now you'd release the gift of faith in people's hearts. God, I just ask that you'd release the gift of faith right now in the hearts of your people. God, we would have faith to believe these words and hear them and obey them in Jesus' name. That's what it looks like to ask. Verses 25 and 26. I love this. And just two more things we'll touch on and then we'll, we'll wrap up. We doing all right? How we doing? How we doing, little ones? You doing all right? Okay, I love it. You're hanging in there. You're being strong, strong this morning. I love it. Okay, so verse 25 and verse 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And Antioch, the first disciples were called Christians. This is, is huge. We see, 
I talked to you earlier about Saul, right? Saul came to the Lord and it was 11 years. What happens to Saul after he has his conversion? Ananias, Ananias comes to him and he gives him a prophetic word. He says, you are going to go to the Gentile, to the kings, and to the Jews with the gospel. You're going to see the righteous one, he says. You will know his will and you will hear a voice from his mouth. He gives him this awesome prophetic word, right? And then Saul goes and he has in Galatians chapter, I think it's two and three, he describes this experience he has in the wilderness. He goes to the wilderness, three years, Jesus disciples him. Fitting, right? Because Jesus spent three years with his actual disciples, right? He gets one-on-one counseling, divine visions from Jesus. He gets, he gets the download. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about, I have had visions I can't even tell y'all about. Like, I've seen stuff, I can't even tell you about it because I wasn't, I'm not allowed to, but I've seen some amazing stuff. He has this prophetic word, divine intervention, divine revelation, right? And then he goes to Jerusalem. What happens? Nobody extends him the right hand of fellowship, right? His Peter, whether it's his hero or not, at this point it probably is, because he's realizing who Jesus is and what they're about, isn't willing to give him the time of day, right? And, and who meets him there? Barnabas, right? He says, hey, hey, Paul, let me hear your story. All right, tell me that again. What did you see? I can't tell. Okay, well, like, man, this is amazing, right? Tell me your story. Like the heart of a what? Of a father. The heart of a father. He comes and he picks up Saul. He says, hey, okay, get behind me. Come here, come with me. And what does he do? He takes him to Peter. He shares Paul's story, Saul's story for them. And so then they're like, okay, well, let's get the ministry kicked off. But then what happens? Like he starts stirring up trouble, and what do they say? What do they say to Saul? Hey, I got a ticket for you. It's on this boat. It leaves in about an hour, and it's going back to your hometown. Just so can you get on this boat and get out of town because you're causing too much trouble? Talk about rejection. Talk about the challenge. And Tarsus is where for Paul? Where's Tarsus? It's his home. He's going back home. You understand that, right? He had this call on his life. He was a top Pharisee. He was crushing it in Pharisee school, Pharisee University, wherever that is. He's crushing it, right? He's on the track. And he's going back home as a Christian, right? As a follower of the way in Jesus. That's a hard thing to do, right? He's going to go back to a family, right? He's going to be there for probably close to, you know, eight or nine years, Right? depending on the timeline, you know, get the details. But he's there for a while. And I mean, that's pretty intense. Now, whether he's living in mom and dad's home or not again, but I mean, there's some shame there, right? Right? He's not, he didn't live up to his potential. He's following this who? This Jesus. And so he goes back into to, to make it a tr- tent making, right? Literally, that's what he was doing. He had to figure out a way to make a living for himself, right? And so here he is. He's got all this potential, Right? prophetic word, the encounter, the call of the Lord. But where is he at? He's back home. And what does Barnabas do when he sees the grace that's upon this Antioch sending center, this community that's happening? What does he do? Like a good father, what does he do? If one of your kids goes missing, what do you do, dads? You go look for him, right? You go look for him. You go find him. And he gets there and he sees the grace that's on this place. And what does he think? I know a guy who has an incredible call on his life, an incredible destiny that God's in line with God's heart. 
I'm going to go find him. He had to search him out. It wasn't like they had, like, he dropped him a pen, you know? Hey, Saul, can you send me a pen where you are? I'm going to come pick you up. Like, he had to go search him out. This was not easy, right? Y'all with me? Like, they, they didn't have, like, Google Maps and, and all this stuff back. It was like he had to go asking around, probably, to find Saul, right? So the heart of a father, what does the heart of a father do? He goes and he searches out those that he knows should be in this place. Because what happens for a year? Now, if you're the church in Antioch, why are you there? Do y'all remember why they're there? Persecution. Who was the leader of the persecution ring? Y'all with me, right? Barnabas, once again, hey, just, just follow me. I'm going to introduce you to some people. Hey, guys, so uh, this, is, this is Saul. I mean, everybody in the room, like, you're talking about the same guy that was, like, dragging people away in chains? You're going to bring him in here, into this house? Like, you got to be a little tension there, right? Like, I feel a little tension. Once again, the dad, the father, Barnabas that he is, hey, follow me. I'm going to introduce you to some people. This is where you need to be to get healed up, loved on. This is the community you need to be a part of. And so when was, the, when, when was it established? You guys remember the dates? AD 43. When does Paul get his call to go into ministry full-time? 47. So there's a four-year gap. He's sitting there in Antioch for four years, getting healed, getting loved on, getting probably delivered from all the rejection, right? Getting equipped. Hey, let's look at that prophetic word again. Let's, 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 get, let's get dialed into the heart of God for your life. And so that's what... That's what Jesus does with us. In Isaiah chapter 42, I'm just going to read two verses. And then in Isaiah chapter 61. It says, in Isaiah chapter 42, did I put that verse up there, guys? Sorry if I didn't. Just want to drive this home real quick, okay? You all with me? Okay. It says, and this is talking about Jesus, this is also talking about his servants, right? He will not cry aloud, lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A breezed rood he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You got to think Paul, or Saul, this is Greek, Roman, first name, got to feel a little down over the last years, right? Being in Tarsus, home city, tent making, this incredible call of the Lord on his life and doing nothing with it. And you got to feel like he's maybe a faintly burning wick, right? He just got a little bit left, just a little bit left. And what does Jesus do with us when we're in those places? He brings alongside a brother, a sister, a father, a mother to just love on us and breathe life into us. That's what Jesus does. He's so gentle and kind in his leadership. And and in in Isaiah chapter 61, it says that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon Jesus, is upon me, because he's anointed me to do what? To bind up the brokenhearted. In our brokenhearted places, Jesus comes gently. He says, hey, you put your faith in my, in my cross and I'm going to come. I'm just going to mend you up. And so sometimes there's seasons and I think there's a grace on this house specifically to be a house where people come and they get bound up, right? Their broken hearts get fixed. Demonic oppression begins to flee. Destinies are called into assignments, right? Are, are called out. This is a house that's, that's, that God's building like that. You can already see it. We've heard Nick's story many times. There's many others of you who have stories where God's delivered you from what seemed impossible by the power of his spirit. And so God's building this house. He's the one building it. Psalm 127, he's the one building it. And so he's building this house. And so 
I just, I love that, that imagery, right? Saul, Barnabas goes and gets him. He says, come with me. We're going to spend a year here teaching. But then Barnabas also gets out of the way. There's a grace for Paul to teach on his life, right? He saw the grace on Paul's life, right? Saul's life to teach. How do we know that? Have you guys read any of the epistles? When you guys read the epistles, do you feel like you're getting taught? Yes, there's a grace on Paul's life to teach. And so Barnabas brings him in and for a year, but then there's three other years where he's saying, hey, okay, now you teach. There's a grace on your life. He gets out of the way, right? And so for those of us in the room that God has put that grace on our life to be like Barnabas and to find those and to call, bring them in to the house, right? Hey, here's your spiritual family. Here's where you'll get equipped and called. Here's where you get encouraged and stirred up. Here's where we can fan that faintly burning wick into a bright flame so then you can go out like Saul. So there's, there's two, right? And I, and I feel like there's, we'll, we'll get more of this at the very end and I'm, I will wrap up here. Um, but I think there's a real grace on this house in that regard. And so um, I'm going to leave the Agabus story up just to the side because just for the sake of time, but that was a, a prophetic word that Agabus delivers. It actually happened. And you see the church's response is what? Generosity. They go ahead of time, right? So this prophetic word comes, there's going to be a famine. What does the church do? What's their response? I'm going to go over here. I'm going to pile up my money. I'm going to buy a house and a number of firearms. And I'm just going to sit this thing out, right? No, the response is what? We're the church. We're the community. We're going to be generous and we're going to prepare ahead of time. It's so fitting that Barnabas, also called Joseph, would get the grace of delivering supplies provided ahead of time to a place where a famine was coming. I don't know if you guys connect the dots there, but there was another Joseph in the Bible that God raised up, right? During a season of what would be the worst famine Egypt had ever seen. And there's a grace there as the church, when we see hard times and challenging things coming, we want to be what? Generous. And we want to help prepare and build up and get ready. And so I think that's what God's doing in this house in this season is he's bringing people in the house with generous hearts, minds, thoughts, and he's building us up so that we, as the church continues to face increased uh, scrutiny, persecution, it's coming. <laughs> Whether it'll be five years down the road, 10 years or tomorrow, it's coming, right? There's never been a, a point in our history and culture where Christians have been so vehemently already targeted, okay? It's coming. We just got to be prepared, right? We got to get prepared in our hearts and our minds. We got to be ready to stand firm, right, when shaking happens. And so, worship team, are you all about ready if I had you come up, or do you need another secundo? Let me to hold him while I deliver my last bits here. So, this is my son Sebastian, if you haven't met him, he, uh, he also preaches the word in our house. I have many pictures of him. He'll set up the little, Izzy's, Izzy's got a music stand, and he'll set it up, and he's got this little, like, Bible, and he'll, like, show up in his suit and tie. I don't wear a suit and tie, but this kid does. Um, so I just want us to, to press in here. Um, I just felt like the Lord shared something with me that I want to just speak and pray over this house. And if it resonates with you this morning, I'd love for you to come see Nick or even myself or the prayer team just come get prayer in this regard this morning, but there's a lot of graces on people's life in this house. There's a lot of grace on people's lives in this house. And whether you're here for six months, whether you're here for two years or for the foreseeable future, God is building this house. Who's building this house? God. He's building this house. And there's a vision in this house that, that, that God's presence would be the main thing. The main thing is God's presence. It's what sets us free. It's what fills us with joy. And so I just want to speak this over 
you all today, this house, this family. So I just encourage you, if you're, if you're able to, just close your eyes and sit before the Lord and receive. If you've got kids to wrangle, hold them in your arms. I'm just going to pray and, and speak life over you right now. God, I see in this house, there are many in this room who are going to be a part of what you're doing in a tremendous way. God, you are the one building this family. Living stone upon living stone. God, I believe there are some here who've landed via military and state department, whatever, however, that God, you'll call them out into a place of service in the house of God in a priestly function, a house with a mission to the nations. God, I ask that those who are in the military and foreign service and other areas, God, you would send them forth with a mission and a purpose to engage and impact nations that don't yet know you. And God, for those who are called here to be here long-term, would you even put it on their hearts right now? God, would you bring the Saul's into this house? And God, would you grace the Barnabases of this house to seek out those you're calling to be a part of this family. Lord, I pray that you would cause this house, this people, this family to be an Antioch sending center. God, we've been sending people year after year after year after year. Every summer, 17 families, seven families, eight, 10, 20. God, I ask that we would be a people sending, Lord, to nations, to the unreached nations. God, a house of prayer and worship. God, where you have the spirit of your Lord operating, binding up brokenhearted ones, setting captives free. God, would there be a one thing grace on this house? And would you release it right now into the hearts of your people? One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek, to dwell in his house, to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple. Align us, God, with your heart, Lord. Release the Isaiah 61 grace to bind up brokenhearted. Lord, would you do it now, even in this moment, God? I ask that you would do that, Jesus.